Good morning. How many of you remember the guy with the rainbow hair that held up a sign at every sporting event? He, I, he must have been independently wealthy, but he, he held up a sign and it said, John 316. Do you remember him? He was on an edge right there where he was telling people how much God loved the world and all of that. Do you think it would work the same now, or would it be sort of lost on people? See, I think it would be lost on people, not because John 3.16 isn't relevant, significantly relevant. It's just not the stumbling block that people have right now. Most people think that Jesus actually was a pretty nice guy and did all that and 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 everything their problem has become something in this other verse that they have felt judged so uh, i've read this significantly on this issue and it, it essentially says that the single most predominant issue is no longer what must i do to be saved but those christians they're judging me so luke 637 has become the verse of our moment in time. Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you'll be forgiven. That that the, the non-Christian population no longer sort of lacks for the message in America about whether God loves them. What they lack is an understanding of what that love means. And, I hate to say this, that most of America really doesn't do a very good job. Most of American Christians don't do a very good job living the Christian life in an integrous way so that people can see the lack of judgment. So what do I think about that? What must I do to be different? I, I don't want to hear me say that we don't have standards in the church. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is that we do have standards, that we are different. Matter of fact, the verse this, this morning is from uh, 1 Peter 2, 1 through 12. And so let me read that, and then I'll go on and on about what we're going to talk about here. But uh, how how are we to be different? So listen to this. This is to Christians. So get rid of all evil behavior. Be done with all deceit and hypocrisy, jealousy, and unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave spiritual milk so that you will grow into the full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment. Now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness, you are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people but he was chosen by God for a great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. That's from Isaiah 28, 16, but it's also the stone from Zechariah 3, where God says, behold, I'm laying a stone in Zion and I'm removing the sin of the land within a single day. So that, that cornerstone is not just 
a firm foundation for us to stand on, but it's a clean, cleansing, firm foundation for us to stand on. And anyway, it says, and he is the stone that makes people stumble and the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. Okay, so that's in verse 8. He's a rock that makes people stumble and and makes them fall, and and so they stumble around in darkness and all that. Some of that is is just about not knowing what's going on and not having a good guide. But the other part is, is that sometimes people blame Christians for judging them when they see the standard and judge themselves and the Christians don't do it. But I need to say this enough so that you hear it. The Christians do enough judging so that we can't just say, well, we didn't do any judging. We did judge. So that's on them. No, some of it's on us that we need to live, that we need to live the life we're given. So here it is, verse nine, this is the big one, but you are not like that. And the Greek is very funny here. It doesn't say you're not like them. What it really means is you're not like that anymore. So it's not, it's not a comparative to them. You're not like them. Do you hear the, the, the difference between you're not like them or you're not like that anymore? One is competitive between them and you, and it sets up a very difficult difference for, for a competitive difference between us and them. Well, we're not like that. Well, yeah, but you were. I want to make sure you hear that. You were like that, and now you're not. I was like that. I was stumbling around, but now I'm not. I've been lifted out of the muck and mire, Psalm 40, verse 2, and lifted on the rock. Um, but that wasn't because I climbed out of the muck and the mire on my own. It was because of gift. But you are not like that, for you are chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of the darkness into the wonderful light. Once you had no identity, once once nobody wanted to call you anything but names, now you're God's people. Once you receive no mercy, now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from the worldly desires that wage war against your soul. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then they, then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. So I want to be very careful in here that what we're talking about isn't a church without standards, right? We're not talking about a church that just says, we don't believe things. What we believe is that we have been changed by God, right? We were sinners stumbling around, and now we've been lifted out of that. Now we still need a Savior, so we don't get to say, well, I had met Jesus, and now I'm all finished, and you, you're bad. No, we get to say that as somebody that's been rescued, I know how to be rescued. Would you like to be rescued? 
not from something that I don't do anymore, but from something in your own life. So you may be talking to somebody, but this whole discussion here is you're not like that anymore for you were chosen by God. And the other issue is, is that we have to behave in such a way so that we don't wage war against our very souls or give the unsaved a stumbling block other than the perfect nature of Christ. Okay? Do you understand what I'm saying? The perfect nature of Christ is such that it is really quite bad. They they feel like they're being judged in their own nature because Christ was so good. But the perfect nature of Christ does that when they compare themselves to that. We are not the perfect nature of Christ. At least, I'll just speak for myself for a second. I'm not the perfect nature of Christ. And so I need to make sure that I'm not taking away the role and the contentment that I know that I should have by then judging others and saying, no, you know, God doesn't, um, God needs me to point out their problems. The situation here is that the biggest issue with them is that they felt it and they've experienced it. So what as Christians do we need to do to stop being salt in the wound of their own judgment? It's right at the beginning of this verse. So get rid of all evil behavior, be done with all deceit and all hypocrisy. You know what hypocrisy does? It requires people to meet a standard that we can't meet. And jealousy. Get rid of jealousy. Oh, I think that that's a really big deal, but uh, I would really like what they have, but I don't have it. And so jealousy causes us to to create little pockets in our life where we where we treat people unkind out of this thing. And all unkind speech, like newborn babies, you must crave spiritual milk so that you will grow into the full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of it. Right now that you've had a taste of this nourishment, don't get lost in it in such a way that you forget, well, I had a taste once and that was so yummy. What it's actually saying is, now that you've had a taste of it, find a way to make sure that you feed yourself with this. But get rid of all evil speech and all behavior and be done with deceit and hypocrisy and jealousy and unkind speech. Don't be like them is not what we're doing. We are different from the world. We have been lifted out of the muck and the mire, but the world and all them judge, they say, oh, I'm not like them. I need us to change our language, and I know this is different. I need us to rather say, I'm not like them, to I am not the way I used to be. I am not the way that I used to be. The first of these is the easiest of that. It's really easy to be comparative like that. But you know what happens when you're comparing yourself to others? Oh, I'm not like you, is you are an implicitly judging them. And now I'm back to the Luke verse. Don't judge or or you'll be judged. Forgive or you so that you can be forgiven. If you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven. It comes out. 
I'm different. That's what don't be like them comes out. I'm better than you. All of us who do that and act that way, judge and push people away. We essentially make a really difficult barrier for non-believers to come in and experience the taste of salvation so that they can then crave for the full spiritual experience. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that we aren't different. We are. And by, and by necessity, if we're different, we have to be enough different in our methodology that there's a, a, a palatable taste in difference of this. And the difference that the world has never experienced is not being judged by somebody else in the same spot, not being held to a standard. We do this all over the place in Christianity. This is hypocrisy to the non-believer. They see it that way very clearly. When we say that we're perfect and we're not, and then expect them to be perfect to come amongst us, but they're not. So if if that hypocrisy is there and, and the judgment feeling is there, the nuance of this text is so specific that it actually gets to the spot where you only look at yourself and go, I used to be this way. How can I then offer it to new people so that they can make the change in their life that needs to happen, not the change that I want to happen in their life? This is what we're doing. I was once lost, but now I'm not. I was once lost, but now I'm found. Turns into, is there a spot where you feel lost? Would you like to be found? You don't need to be lost. You can be found. When you're doing that, I was once lost, but now I'm found. Do you feel lost? Would you like to be found? If you feel lost, what would you do to be found? These are the questions. It's taking a difference of Christianity, which is we are sinners who have found a savior, not sinners no longer in need of a savior. It is the barrier is a soft barrier between us. It's the, it's the antidote to fruit inspector Christianity. It's the wooing Christianity that Jesus comes and talks to us that, that says this, that each and every one of us has a different starting point to meeting Jesus. Now that starting point is always a spot of sin in our life, but my personal sin that I was rescued from may be entirely different than the personal sin that you're different from. It's the same thing as we're all in the same storm, but our boats are different. To an outsider, the difference is how do we become welcome, welcoming and, and enable them to come in and hear enough of the message that they will become a cherished people rescued as well, not just different. It's like this. Jesus' chosen priesthood always thinks about the people that are coming and needing to be saved. And in order to do that, that's you and me. We've been 
freed up to do the work of being wooed by God and then wooing as well to help him, but to not get in his way in the discussion, to not become our own stumbling block that's personal. Jesus is enough of a stumbling block in the life of these people as they judge themselves, not able to stand up to what Jesus said. And so they stumble because they don't obey God's word. I'm not saying that they do. I'm saying they don't. But what we need to understand right in that moment, they stumble, verse nine, verse 8, because they don't obey God's word, is that we stumble when we don't obey God's word just in the exact same way. And because we've obeyed enough of it that we've been rescued, we don't meet the fate that that we made for ourselves. We meet a new destiny which is heaven, or in the presence of God forever. And so that's what we're trying to do, is rather move people from the train or the destination that they've got on and they've purchased. But you're not like that. We don't stumble because we don't obey God's word. You are God's chosen people. You've stumbled when you don't obey God's word, but he's there to do this. So stop doing this, if you will, rather live out of the redemption. A missionary said something really powerful the other day that I was listening to, and she said that if you're going out into the world as a missionary to some far-off land, you cannot do the work when you're hoping the redemption will happen. Instead, you have, you have to know that the redemption is available because it has already happened and all they have to do is choose it. So what she's essentially saying is you have to stop living out of Genesis 3 and start living out of the resurrection of Jesus Christ to join God in the wooing that he does, not only in your own life, but in other. And that means we have to be better or have a more accurate standing of who we are. We are not yet fully formed. We are not yet made public, perfect, and we are not yet another's judge. Instead, we, well, we're not even the master of ceremonies. I was going to say we're the master of ceremonies on the invitation, but we're much more like the like the car hop or the or the the gate the gatekeeper that just opens the door when people come in and how fast we open the door and how how easily the gate opens for others is kind of our job but the gate is there in their mind and it's our job to sort of express that so let me say this one more time we are different But if we spend our time judging and making a difference out of everybody else, then we are not acting or living out of that difference because it's not honest. It doesn't admit that we too still need a savior. And so if you'll pray for me now, I would like to pray with me now. I would like to specifically say that we, that we, um, need to come to a moment where we recognize the need for a Savior. So if you will, Lord Jesus, this morning, 
as we come to you, help us recognize our continuing need of you and help us crave and cry out for spiritual milk so that we can understand and live out of the redemption the full salvation of our souls that we that we can live into the identity of a people that you have given us that we've received mercy lord now lord help us live out of that mercy for others help us recognize that that the difference between you and us is so great because you did not sin and so when we look at you implicitly inside we begin to say I've sinned. He hasn't. He couldn't possibly want me. And so our role, Lord, help us understand our role, which is to say, he does want you. He loves you. That's John 3.16. In the same way that he's loved us. Now, he's overcome that spot in us, Lord. You've overcome that spot in us. Now, overcome that spot in them. In your precious name, Lord, amen.